Strike Force Raptor will harass and disrupt gangs. Ihu Matau machinations. We are still not at the table. And prisoner politics. It's been a hell of a battle. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here on One News. I'm Benedict Collins. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Katie Bradford. Hey, so kick off with our highs and lows or peaks and pits for the week. Um, My peak was uh, the social media smackdown that Auckland University gave Simon Bridges. Now, this was after, um, it, was, it was quite good fun, actually. National was really um, vocal on social media. But um, uh, Simon Bridges, after the gang's announcement, we're going to have a look at that track in a minute, but he um, came out and he, and he um, kind of dissed um, the so-called experts in a, in a, in a um, online story that had been published. And he um, called one of the guys some sweary bear, Ron Kramer, uh, to which Auckland University responded, um, saying, well, actually, that sweary bear... Um, uh, actually has a PhD um, from Yale University and, you know, is a highly credible Yikes. expert when it comes to these things. Anyway, I quite enjoyed that exchange. Hmm. I was actually going to say that my peak was um, Simon Bridges just letting loose on Twitter in general and some of his MPs. I think they perhaps used to have some stricter rules about how they behaved on uh, the old Twitter. But this week it feels like the gloves are off and a couple of times have gone, wait a minute, do they uh, actually say that? Is that actually Simon Bridges? And trying to check that that's correct, because uh, the sweary bear, there are a few others getting into some arguments with some people. Yeah, Either yeah, it's yeah. Simon... Calling out Winston calling out on Win- prisoner voting <laughs> yeah. as well. I'm just not sure I, if it's Simon himself or if one of those very many social media people they have upstairs on the National Party have, have unit have actually in. got his mm. log and are having some fun. <laughs> it has been quite unique, though, to see him sort of let loose so much, on, on particularly on Twitter, um, and not only him, but also the National Party. You would have thought that maybe as the leader of the party, he might have left that to you know some of his his MPs, you know, likes of Chris Bishop, anyone to be able to go in there and I be think the Chris sort of Bishop pitbull. has been told to dial it back a bit because he's had some <laughs> big arguments in the past, and I feel like he's sort of wound it back a little bit. But others don't seem to have that issue. Maybe they feel like they've relaxed into opposition a bit more now, and they feel like they can sort of. Or you could take it the other way. I was more thinking that it seems as though National's under pressure, Simon Bridges is under pressure this week, and we'll sort of take a look at that when we look at the prisoner voting issue and when we look at the uh, Strike Force Raptor uh, uh, teams that they're wanting to roll out across the country. Um, But just in terms of my peak uh, this week, of course my peak is that this is my final podcast um, before I head off on maternity leave, so I'm really excited, looking forward to a summer holiday. With a newborn baby. (laughs) Well, yeah, there there is also that. So maybe not too much sleeping happening, but at least uh, we'll be able to catch up on the second season or is it the third season of The Crown, uh, which I'm looking forward to um, binging over the summer period. In the middle of the night while you're feeding. So that's what I'll be doing, yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, And my my pit for the week has to be that Wellington wind, and I know I keep saying this, but this week was particularly bad, particularly when you're in the middle of an interview with an economist on the terrace and your dress flies everywhere, and then you have to do a live on Lambton Key in front of every Wellington bureaucrat waiting for their bus, uh, and I ended up having to uh, gaffer tape my dress around my legs to stop it (laughs) flying everywhere, which was 
resulted in dozens of people laughing at me and taking photos. So oh, anyone no, who tells you nice. anyone who tells you TV is a glamorous, exciting business should have seen the state of me on Lampton Key on Wednesday night. I, I had a really good chuckle at those photos. Of, of, <laughs> Lots of, of people did. I decided to roll with it. I was like, okay, look, there were so many people taking photos of me that I'm just yes. going to go with this now and just go, this is actually quite funny and it's actually gone crazy on Twitter. Everyone's like, that's Wellington win. What else? It's a great life hack. And what they're else are going to do? They're actually trying to put a name on the Wellington win, yeah. aren't they, Benedict? You were sort of asking yeah, yeah, if yeah. I had any thoughts. Well, I hey, thought you weren't, you weren't particularly well, fond I was, of I was thinking maybe sort of, I wasn't particularly fond of naming the wind because there were, there were daft um, daft uh, suggestions like Winnie. What about Hoha though? I like uh, Hoha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but which is for thought, historian who's looking yeah. into like, and lots of yeah. places do have, you know, their, their local I winds are named. Hoha often, so yeah. that could come yeah. in handy. But also I was thinking, you know, we name this as like in the same convention as we name our cyclones, maybe call it, you know, Wellington Bertha. <laughs> oh, Bertha. She's I, Gotten the sheets off the line again, Bertha. <laughs> I don't know. Or I quite liked someone said gaffer after I said I had to use gaffer tape to ah. tie my, to wind around my dress. Someone suggested gaffer, and I thought it's not a bad one for that wind. Yeah. What about Kortetake? Kortetake. Yeah. Yeah. Kortetake. Useless. That yeah. might be another good one. Uh, what about pits, people? What's what's everyone's pits this week? Oh, I guess my pit would be um, wind related. I, I think, and that was I did a race at the weekend, oh, uh, yes. a running race, and the first 5k was into this incredible, incredible headwind, um, which made things very, very slow going and, and destroyed my. It's all the wind's times. fault, eh? Hey? Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally yeah, the wind's yeah. fault. It's not we did kind of turn old. around, but I'd, 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 and, and run with it at our backs. But by that time, I'd sort of exhausted all my energy. <laughs> so a much slower, a slower yes. race than I was planning on. Uh, in terms of speeds, um, that's probably uh, a good a good segue into my pit, um, which was that yesterday the government announced new speed limits around our schools, 40 k's um, per hour uh, around urban schools and 60 k's around rural schools. So uh, pretty interesting to see there that our rural kids uh, are sort of going to have to face uh, 20 kilometre higher speed limits uh, when they exit the school gates. Uh, I'd probably be concerned about that a little bit if and I was living rurally. And also Years. And yeah. that it's, I taking, 10 it's taking 10 years. 10 that was years. the biggest shock of all. Yeah. And watching that story last night on One News, and then they said, and the government hopes to have all of these changes rolled out within the next 10 years, to and which, the, yeah, and a the, they had the school principal saying, oh, hey, it would be good if you could um, do this tomorrow. Yeah, it's an interesting, I'm not sure either, why it's going to take why, so, exactly so long. It takes. I or, assume or why rural kids have cars going 20k an hour faster. Is it, is it that they're. Um, I don't know. On know. Maybe they can run faster, you know, <laughs> yeah, with all that cross yeah, all country. That country fresh air, yeah, maybe they're just a bit quicker across the road. I don't know. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Sorry. Mm. Anyway, Katie, do you, do you have a pit? I oh, think the wind was my pit. All right. All, all the kids running faster in the country. Yeah. Well, you know, good mm. dodging skills. Yeah. Yeah, fresh milk that they get from the cows. <laughs> right, you know, get a well, they're the farm all the time, right? If they do get knocked. Anyway, <laughs> um, we'll move on. Let's have a look at um, Strike Force Raptor. Laying down the law. The government I lead will harass and disrupt gangs every single day. Simon Bridges proposing a specialist police unit. A Strike Force Raptor type unit. Like in Australia. Its job is simple. Driving out and down gangs, harassing gangs, whether it's for a fight in a bar, whether it's for not having a warrant. The war on gangs has never worked. 
This critic suggests Mr Bridges should look to the past. One of the national leaders, Rob Muldoon, was actually proactive in getting gang members fully employed. Now that addressed some of the socio-economic um, challenges that they had in that space. The party also getting a serve from a former national MP. Unfortunately, political parties in opposition only see incentives as um, something that happens with a stick instead of things that can happen with a carrot. And the strike force would be expensive. The truth is, to set up something like a strike force a Raptor unit uh, will be in the tens of millions of dollars. The idea prompting social media mocking from the government. They had an opportunity to do it over nine years. Now I think in desperation, they're sort of uh, you know, coming up with these old ideas. New gangs have been establishing themselves here as a result of the Australian government deporting gang members who have New Zealand citizenship. But Simon Bridges says there's simply nothing that can be done about it. While we don't like it, uh, while we wish there were clever ways to stop the Australians doing what they're doing, it's within their rights. The party's also now considering banning gang patches in public, Mr Bridges describing how he was spooked by a recent encounter. Seeing several headhunters in their patches, I found it incredibly intimidating. I know that other New Zealanders find it intimidating. I'm not saying I wouldn't be in favour. National also promising to release a separate gang action plan next year. So this was um, yeah quite an interesting announcement. Um, Strike Force Raptor to go after the gangs. A very um, gang focused, uh, yet another very gang focused announcement um, from National. We had a little while ago their social um, welfare announcement, which was you know going to make life a lot harder for gangs. Now we've got their Law and Order announcement focused on gangs, and then they've promised us next year they're going to release their gang action plan. Oh, this this like, isn't even their gang plan. What It's clear they see this as an easy target, right? They go, this is this is where we can get some votes. They're carving themselves out. They're saying people don't want mm. gangs. The people who vote for National, you know, you've got to say that they're probably targeting their own voters with this. And, and a little bit of New Zealand First voters yes. as well, which yeah. they're also trying to line trying up to as being in, yeah. soft on crime and that sort of goes into um, uh, an issue that we'll look at later, which is that prisoner voting yeah. um, uh, reversal that the government's been brought in. But, I mean, what, what did you make of, you know, being at that at that sort of announcement or seeing that announcement come out from National? Yeah, I thought, I mean, obviously got that big focus on gangs. Interesting to see that, you know, they didn't, even after the Christchurch terror attack, there was no real focus on... On terror. On, on white supremacists mm. or anything like that um, you know and I think Simon Bridges we asked him um, Kim Baker Wilson asked him about that um, at the press conference and he's saying well this you know this law and order plan isn't uh, you know trying to solve every every problem in society but you know I would I was surprised to see that they didn't really touch on that or, or consider it an issue rather than you know just the big you know we're going to try and smash the gangs kind of um, angle that they took. Yeah, it's really hard to get inspired to say something about this policy because it is so uninspiring, to be honest. It's just not, uh, it's just it's just so unoriginal. And I think that when you have the likes of uh, a former uh, MP within your own party, Chester Burroughs, coming out, um, criticising this on national television, um, saying that it is basically just trying to get votes rather than looking at evidence. Um, I also read something from Peter Dunn um, this morning who was also heavily critical of um, the policy, saying that it's actually a move away from where National had sort of um, uh, been going under the sort of likes of uh, Finlayson, Bill English, John Key, um, really going to that right. Well, English and Key were focused, so one, they Key was very good at hugging that middle ground, mm. but also they were focusing so much on that social investment approach, yeah. and that comes back to why do people get up, get up, end up in gangs? 
why do we have an increasing number of, of people in gangs? And that's because they, they've they grown up with it. They're looking for family. They're looking for friends. They're looking for support. They have nowhere else to turn. All those issues, it's money. It's, it's you know, well traversed all the issues that end, why people end up in gangs. And English and Key had that social investment approach, which and was, this was get a, them young and get them, you and know. this was a part of this announcement too. Yeah, and get that, them, and, and yeah. you know, rather than, you know, I guess it's the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff approach, right? Which which side of it do you tackle? And so um, it is interesting that they, and I think a big part of it is, is going after the New Zealand First vote as well. But also remember, this, this is all a discussion document. Yeah. So they're going to next year, either they're going to look at how the public feel about this now, uh, and then come back and say yes or no about what they're like. I mean, I'm sure that Simon would love to go on an election campaign, being able to yell out "Strike Force Raptor" yes. as much as possible <laughs> in every small town he goes to on a bus. Yeah, yeah. They also had um, the other. I think another one of the ideas that they had was um, like, basically, if you're a young person who commits crime or whatever, looking at wiping those, going further, I guess, in the clean slate legislation mm. and, and being able to expunge. Minor sure convictions, both. yeah. Yeah, convictions for young people, so it doesn't, you know, work against them, yeah. um, which is sort of interesting as well. I, th- I thought, um, which is a good, it's, yeah, good. It, which is good for helping for people for travel for jobs and all that as they get older. If you make a silly mistake when you're seventeen, yeah, and, and lots of people for do, the rest right? Of your life, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. yeah. Shall we um, have a look at this next track um, that Katie did um, on Fletcher's? Among the suits, the fluoro vests of the Ihumatau protectors. Mingling with hundreds of shareholders keen to hear how Fletcher's is tracking financially. One of those shareholders, protest leader Panya Newton. I was very pleased to hear that the chairman announced publicly that uh, they are working or respecting a process where they are working towards finding a resolution. Negotiations between Fletcher's and the government might involve Auckland Council buying the land back. That will be done this side of Christmas. Hand on heart, we're working very diligently to find a way through. We're mainly concerned that we are still not at the table. Some shareholders asking tough questions about how much the occupation will cost them. We just don't talk about that, um, you know, because we're actually in a negotiation and it's not appropriate. But he's promising shareholders' interests will be foremost. But it's not just Ihu Martel plaguing Fletcher's. A string of financial losses, five deaths on construction sites this year alone, and then, after major delays to the convention centre build, that fire. It was very frustrating. The company had few answers today about the impact of the blaze. It still needs to work out the extent of the damage, what needs to be done to rebuild it, and just how long all of that will take. Promising all will be revealed to the market in February. How big do you think that rebuild is really going to be? Large. How large is large? Oh, we, we don't have, I don't have a number yet. The fires also caused a headache for the government, which planned to host world leaders for APEC 2021 in the centre. Any chance it'll be open for APEC? I haven't given up on that yet. The construction industry's facing some tough times, and there's no doubt Fletcher's has struggled. You can't wallow in that. You've got to go after the future. While the company is back in profit, parts of the business are still struggling in Australia. As for resolution at Ihumatau, frustration is starting to show. I will be patient until Christmas, um, but after next year, um, only time will tell. No sign all of the pressure will ease on one of our biggest companies anytime soon. 
I think one of the things was interesting at this um, at the Fletcher's shareholders meeting was we talked about Ihu Matau last week and that was always going to be a big issue at the meeting. Um, Mike and Benedict didn't believe me that Panya Newton and other Ihu Matau protectors are actually uh, Fletcher shareholders. They are. And uh, Panya said she's been going to Fletcher meetings for five years now and that what was interesting is that she feels a different vibe from the shareholders there. Um, and as you can see in... in that track, they're possibly traditional, more traditional types of uh, Aucklanders who are the shareholders or uh, Kiwis who are shareholders in Fletchers. Um, and just listening to the questions they even are, they were asking of the chairman and and the CEO mm. around Ihumatau and what happens. They clearly want a solution. There were people on one side who were worried about how much it was going to cost Fletchers. Are they going to get their money back? Are they going to make money off this? Are they losing money? How much are they spending? There was a couple of questions on how much money they're spending on security. Yeah. Um, because there's been some talk. It's been up to sixty thousand dollars a month on security at Ihumato. Um and then there were other people who were just like hey did we did Fletcher's contribute to this situation did we make this worse what are we going to do when are we going to solve this and Panya said to me that she feels like that balance has shifted more in their favour that people clearly want a resolution which is interesting Ross Taylor I had a big sit down interview yeah. with him he's saying he, he reiterated what the government said to me last week that they want it done by Christmas and so it looks like that that heritage status will come up uh probably in the next few days. So um, it definitely feels like there's momentum there. Yeah, and so. how long have you been trying to get that sit-down oh, interview for? yeah. Trying to get them to talk on Ihumato. Yeah. They haven't spoken at all. And yeah. so, um, there, for me, there was a lot of issues I wanted to cover off with Fletcher's. It was just Ihumato. It was a convention centre fire, which they had nothing to say about. But yeah. also just the massive financial problems that the construction, that Fletcher's has faced, but the construction industry in general. Um, and so it was good to be able to have that chat about all of that. They seem to be feeling more positive about their future going forward, but they've certainly had a bad few years. <laughs> well, they definitely <laughs> need to be positive because <laughs> yeah. it's been a hell of a headache yeah. uh, of a year for them, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. including five deaths on sites um, for Fletchers. And so really yeah. interesting story there um, to see. And mm. yes, that's right. We we were taken aback, at, as I'm sure many of the viewers were, to see that Pania Newton and, and others were actually shareholders in Fletchers. I mean, it's basically speaks to the brilliance of the woman doesn't it? Yeah. That, you know that sort of that infiltrating they to do that. the enemy um, <laughs> so that they could be on the inside listening to um, all of the corridor, um uh, about yeah. where the company's going and that sort and of thing. And they felt like it was respectful you know people were respectful towards them. I saw a lot of people talking to Panya afterwards yep. asking her questions about it trying to get their head around it. I mean if you're a shareholder in Fletcher's this is a big deal. Yeah, so you know, what, what was their kind of questioning or what was their sort of um, input into the discussion? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, that, that stuff around how much is it going to cost us and all that kind of thing, right? But but the, the, the bosses of Fletcher's are in a difficult position because their job is to do their best for shareholders. But they've got the political pressure. They kept, I thought it was interesting how much they kept throwing it back to the Prime Minister. They kept saying, I don't know how many times, that the Prime Minister has asked us to tie ho here. The Prime Minister's asked us to, you know, work on a solution, to, to not do anything. The Prime Minister said this, the Prime Minister said this. And I thought, you're really trying to make it look like this is the government's fault, it's not your fault. Yeah. And, um, and I did put that to Ross Taylor and he said, look, we're just doing what we can and we're working on those negotiations we're just doing and so what forth. the Prime Minister asked we're, we're, just doing, we're just doing as the Prime Minister told us to do and so that then the shareholders what can they say to that right but yeah. their job and, and Ross Taylor did say to me that they do have the shareholders best interests at heart that means Fletchers are going to get a good deal out of this as we've talked about they're going to get 
get that money back and more. Interesting to to note though that Pania uh, mentioned that they that Seoul isn't part of those negotiations. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of um, the resolution that we sort of spoke about in, about your track last week. So, yeah. um, and she's sort of given them what the summer. Yeah, um, no, till Christmas. She said, "I'm being Christmas. patient for now." She's, she <laughs> felt, but yesterday she was, you know, she was patient. She's like, "Look, it's good." She felt like the po- comments were positive from what she was hearing at Fletcher's, but yeah, she's frustrated and the fact that they're still not at the table that they're still mm. not involved in those negotiations, mm. that whatever decision that comes down from government in the next, we'd expect in the next couple of weeks now, um, they're going to be told about it. And yeah, it then I think the is when yeah. they're going to be consulted on it. So they'll they'll make that call and then it'll be, you know, mana whenua, Seoul, Kingitanga, whoever it is that, that is going to be involved in those talks on the ground about it. So they're just sort of waiting. Mm. Yeah. Well, in terms of who isn't waiting anymore, prisoners for the right to vote. They'll be getting it back uh, in time for next year's election. Let's take a look at our track on this. After years of battling, today, victory. We're over the moon, aren't we, Rich? Hey, yeah, we're yeah. over the moon. You know, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a battle, but we got there. One News Can Reveal Cabinet has signed off on a decision to reverse a ban on prisoners voting. Prisoners who are sentenced for periods of less than three years will get the right to vote. The ban was introduced by National in 2010. It was a nasty little law that was not about um, improving the the ability for prisoners to stop offending. It was just another sort of kick in the guts. It just shows you there's a great deal of truth in the old SAS motto, he who dares wins, you know? You know, there's people who said you'd never do it. The change would see around 1,900 prisoners become eligible to vote at next year's election and follows legal pressure including a declaration upheld by the Supreme Court that the ban is inconsistent with the Bill of Rights. There was no precedent uh, for it and there was a lot of uh, expert commentators who were saying you can't get um, a declaration of inconsistency. When the highest court in the land says, you know what, this is just a flagrant breach of our Bill of Rights, Actually, the government of the day has to sit up and take notice. Getting agreement from the government, though, hasn't been easy. New Zealand First still considering its position just last month. Why do you want to make the laws if you're breaking the laws? Was it a difficult decision to reach a consensus on around the Cabinet table? Uh, Look, it, it, um, it took a wee while. The Minister says the issue comes down to rehabilitation and reintegration. People want to see something a bit better than just lock them up, throw away the key and ignore them. And while the government's ruled out extending voting rights to all prisoners, those serving long-term sentences will be enrolled upon leaving prison. This is far more positive in terms of getting that participation into the community. And as for the pair who fought hard for today's result... I think we'll be there having a few pina coladas tonight, won't we, Rich, and a few other things. <laughs> Celebration is certainly in order. So a nice wee exclusive for us there. Um, so that was really good to to cover off. We've been sort of following this um, story for a while now, even Katie following time. it when you were <laughs> um, here at, at, in the gallery for One News. Um, so really good to sort of get a result, particularly for Arthur Taylor and Richard Francois. I think, you know, just the delight on their faces in that story um, speaks volumes. They've been working on it for years and years and years. We've seen those judicial review uh, decisions from the High Court, Supreme Court, Waitangi Tribunal. 
Um, and finally, the government, mm. after initially saying it wasn't a priority, um, decided to make it one and, and put that reversal in place, um, to which, obviously, the National Party had since come out um, following that story, saying that mm. um, they will reverse the reversal <laughs> um, and playing hardball on, on the issue. You know so, what? I don't think they will, because this was a member's bill in the first place, and they were in government when they put it through, as we know, with a member's bill. If the government really wants legislation to go through, they can take it on themselves. I think if National gets into government next year, that's not going to be a priority for them. We'll be putting that to Simon Bridges if he does get into government next year, though, because you can't go around making empty threats and then not following (laughs) through on them uh, unless you want to declare a a complete back down. So uh, we'll see where... But I don't know if you have time with all the targeting of gangs. Yeah. And he's going to be busy true. with mm. all those gangs and mm. Strike Force Raptor. It's going to take a lot of work to set, set up Strike Force Raptor. Yes. But no, I, I, just, I just think that they, you know, this is something, it's an easy change, right? It's an easy one. This was an easy win for Andrew Little to, to look like he was giving to, you know. Uh, like I think it would have been tricky, though, from a public perspective, because they, they have been hammered so much from the National Party as being soft, soft on crime. That's been the main sort of a, one of the main attack points from the opposition to the government, that they are soft on crime, soft on gangs. And we saw that with the policy announcement. So for them to have to reverse something that they never brought in the first place, they would have been like, oh, man, this was never our headache in the first place. How's this going to go down with the voters? Which is why. I said that poll that we did yeah. for One News really would have shifted, and even those close to the issue on on, on sort of you know the the side of um, those who have been fighting for it in terms of Arthur Taylor and Co. But also from the government side, you know they had sort of mentioned to me that poll was really important just to see where the public support was at for this issue. Um, so I think that would have helped them sort of um, make a make a call on it, and they probably want to get it away before Christmas. You know, get it all done and dusted. Also uh, gives them a few more votes from people in prison probably. Well, like Labour maybe. New Zealand first and Greens are maybe now, going now. Not as now, many as I would have expected. <laughs> Were you guys surprised to see only 1,900? Given we have a prison population of around 10,000, only around 1,900 yeah, of those because, will be eligible. Yeah, because of the, the sorry, under three years, right? So you have Yeah, to, well, I just thought we would have had like more like, I don't know, 4,000 of... 4,000 people serving a sentence of Do, less than three years. Does that include the remand? No, that 10, so 000? remand can already vote. Yeah, because yeah. they haven't. Yeah, yeah. and that's right. around three to 4,000 already, so they can still vote. So it's um, actually a really so small number them. of people that's affected by this. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the public, you know, the public feedback on this story has been huge. People just jump in on this issue and, you know, debate it from both sides. So it's been really interesting to sort of watch. Mm. Um, and yeah. It's and maybe a, people forget that when you're talking about this, we're talking about people who are in prison for less than three years so they're not we're not talking about murderers no we're not talking you know because people like oh that you know do the crime they shouldn't have they shouldn't have the right to vote you're not talking about people necessarily no you're talking about people who will come back into society at yeah. a time where that government will be in power within that electoral cycle yeah. right yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and then the Possibly. argument also yeah. is yeah. that yeah. many yeah. of them have families many of them have children out there um, and they they want to have a say on things like education mm. policy and so on for their kids um, interesting when you when you prison mention policy justice prison policies. policy justice policy um, you know um, raptor policies <laughs> um, but interesting to note also that yeah obviously this this did start out 
out as a private member's bill um, by Nationals um, MP Paul Quinn back in 2010. At that time, um, the Attorney-General Chris Van Lysen raised concern um, that that bill may breach the Bill of mm. Rights, which of course was confirmed later on in 2015 by the High Court. So um, interesting to see that there was the um, originally within National, there was concern there. Yeah, um, And I went back through the Hansard and read um, Paul Quinn's speeches in all of the three readings of the Bill at Parliament, and they weren't too convinced, convincing, but he did always bring up the fact that Chris Finlayson had raised the red flags, and then he just shot them down. <laughs> he was like, yes, Chris Finlayson's worried, I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, so interesting um, interesting issue, and, um, and uh, they'll be in time for next year's election. 1,900 mm. people more voting. 1,900 people more voting. Now, what about workers, Katie? Yeah, so let's take a look at this. This is the latest in the government's um, labour law changes, which are obviously quite controversial. It's a hard slog driving passengers around Auckland, especially when it's working 50 hours a week for less than the minimum wage. We have a lot of uh, expenses, like insurance is very, very high, around $200 $250 per month. If you have an accident, you have excess of 1500 and you lose everything. The government thinks it's workers like this who need and more support. There's some people who are actually employees who have been misclassified as contractors and are therefore missing out on rights that employees enjoy, such as the minimum wage. To protect contractors, the government's putting out proposals which suggest increasing proactive targeting by labour inspectors, introducing penalties for employers who fail to comply, or even changing the definition of employee, and extending the right to bargain collectively for some contractors. At the moment, if you're a contractor, you can't join a union, you can't bargain collectively, and that puts a lot of people into a vulnerable position. The government says some employers are using contractors as a way to save money. Contractors get in situations where they're completely controlled by the company, they're completely dependent on one company and aren't allowed to work for other companies. But business say contracting has bonuses, including flexibility. For example, that would have consequences for for industries like the film industry um, in New Zealand, um, the IT industry, um, labour hire. The latest proposals come as the government already faces criticism from business about the number of labour law changes being forced upon them. Other changes include around fair pay agreements, pay equity and migrant labour exploitation. Businesses say it's about getting the balance right. There are a range of uh, different sectors where, where portfolio uh, employment is, is good for the person. Uh, however, if it can be a little bit more challenging if you've got one single employer. There is no benefit at all sometimes because your job is unsecure. The government thinks an increasing number of people will become contractors and this could help about 70,000 Kiwis. There's a couple of things I think is interesting here. This is clearly... Our economy is changing, and I did the story on this the week before around the future of work and how people are working and stuff. And there's a number of people with the gig economy who are taking on these contracting jobs. And the government predicts that there'll be more people doing this sort of work. And on one hand, we see Uber drivers, careers, cleaners, you know, people at that scale. There's a lot of people who work in IT and communications yeah, who, who and PR. Yeah, a big advantage choose, to them yeah, to, who do, choose to, to do be contracting, contracting jobs, right? So, yeah, yeah, so you've got to get the balance right. Here. Yeah. You've got to go, the people who want to do it, who make quite a lot of money sometimes out of doing this, and also the flexibility, you know, if you have kids and so forth, mm. they can run their own business, they can do what they want. Um, it's, a, it's a really good way to work for some people. Um, those people are okay. Those are not the people the government's talking about. Yeah, and I thought it was really interest, an interesting point in your track that, you know, some people are basically um, 
you, you, you are in all essence an employee right because yeah. you're totally you know you can't work for other people you're, you're working full-time you're working for the same employer um but you're in that contracting yeah. you know you can technically considered a contractor yeah. you know yeah. and so there's that sort of they, power imbalance compared to the other situations that we're just discussing. Well, actually, you have a lot of power. I think yeah. there are people out there who are contractors who can pick and choose who they're employed by and in a really good position. Yeah. I think the ability to um, potentially um, unionise um, those contractors, you know, the minister there talking about, oh, we want to be able to, at the moment, they're not allowed to join the union, mm. but we want that to, to be a, an option for them. I think that'll probably be really crucial in terms of um, helping them collectivise and sort of get those rights as contractors across the line. Yeah, I think when you're talking about, you know, Uber drivers or Ola or Zumi or whatever it is, there are a lot of people who do that job, who clearly, you know, they work long hours, they don't have, you know, they, in theory they're told they can only work a certain number of hours and so forth, but that guy interviewed for that story works a lot of hours. These people are tired and they're driving us around. You know, if you have more protections for them um, and therefore they can have, they have more rights and responsibilities, I guess, that, that's what you're talking about. If you're employed, if you're a taxi driver, we've seen taxi drivers go on strike right yeah. taxi drivers are very highly unionized but this side of it are not and so that's what the government's talking about is more protections for them ensuring that employers aren't just employing them because it's cheaper for them to be contractors the other side of it is of course it's yet another labor law change that this government's making when they're already facing so much criticism from business and national and act about the fact they're taking businesses on more compliance costs putting more more duties on yeah. them they're then t- put, trying to put another thing through i thought was sort of yeah an i was surprised move to be making i was surprised time. By that, yeah. it's like one wave after the other yeah. from the government in terms of you know wanting to have sort of you know more tougher employment laws, yeah. which is which is a good thing, but it does put pressure on the business sector as you mentioned, and they have sort of been um, resisting or, or sort of um, you know getting a bit concerned about that just the number of changes yeah. that they're having to deal with. So interesting. Also on the note of um, of uh, employment and and so on, sort of make a quick uh, mention of the gender pay gap, mm. which uh, we also covered off yesterday. Um, which is um, has seen the lowest or the biggest decrease um, annually in over 17 years. Um, so last year it was at 12.2% uh, um, in terms of the difference uh, between pay between men and women. Um, this year that's dropped by 1.7% down to 10.5%. Interestingly enough, um, it was the first significant drop also for Māori and Pacific women, but they are still very much well behind on um, Māori, 16.3%. And Pacific women, 25.6% difference, which is huge. And bleak. Um, and bleak. So One day we might get paid as much as you, Benedict. Yeah. Mikey, we really Mike need to do some work on that yeah. Pacific number in particular. <laughs> yeah. that keep, keep working hard, you'll get there one day. Cheeky. Anyway. Hey, so that was um, One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here on One News. And uh, it's Mikey's, Mikey's last, last podcast <laughs> for the uh, foreseeable future. Um, so yeah, we're just uh, yeah. wishing you all the best, Mikey. Thank you. Beautiful. I totally did not expect that. Yeah. And I forgot that you guys did that for just much. So it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good Lovely. luck. Yeah. Good luck with number five. Yeah, due on Tuesday. So hopefully any any day now. And um, Mikey's an inspiration. When we talk we'll about gender pay gap and workers, Mikey's you. an inspiration for a woman. Just keep on going. So yeah. awesome. We'll miss all right. you. Cheers, guys. Thanks so Thanks. much. Cool. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook and it's available around this time each week on One News Now and you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Yeah.